When I first quit, I told myself that maybe for the first two or three months, I would say no to all opportunities. So when I first quit and I announced it publicly, very publicly, I probably got five different job offers and all right. of them were quite exciting. But of mm -hmm. course I had, you know, I really appreciate that, but mm -hmm. not right now. Like I, the reason I quit is because I wanted to see what would happen if I go on my own with uh, with my boredom, with my curiosity, with my creativity and all the skills that I've leveraged and relationships that I've leveraged, what's possible if I commit myself to that. So the first two or three months was really just the detox mm -hmm. because I had been working for so long. Welcome back to the Well Now What podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. If you're new here, this podcast is for Gen Z's, millennials, 20-something-year-olds unsure what they want to do post-grad or with their career. So I interview people from different backgrounds to just get their story. This week has been so nice. I'm actually going to Palm Springs in a few days and I'm so excited to get back into the sun. I kind of grew up there. I used to go every single year with my family and then I had a lot of family friends and we would go and we would do tennis tournaments. I'm absolutely terrible at tennis, but I'm excited to kind of get back into it. So if you're in Vancouver and you like to play tennis and you're not like the best, the best, unless you want to teach me, please let me know and I'll definitely play with you. I also mentioned on my Instagram, I'm doing another online dating story podcast or this one specifically online dating. Um, so that can even be like, I had a friend send in like one from Snapchat. So it can be anything. It doesn't have to be a specifically a dating app. Um, so please send those over, DM me and send me any, like they could be cute, they could be funny, doesn't really matter, anything goes. Um, today's guest is Matthew Encina. This was such a lovely conversation. His voice is also so soothing and I love the work that he's been doing just on his own channel um, and he gives some really good advice as just for content creation and like taking your time um, and also little things like being in front of the camera and how to feel more comfortable. I really enjoyed our conversation so let's get straight into it. I'm joined by the incredibly talented Matthew Encina. He's a content creator, creative director, and educator. He's worked over 15 years in uh, motion design, advertising, and branding. He was the chief content officer at Future. Um, that's a design education company. And now um, you'll find him mostly on YouTube. Uh, he makes videos that range from desk setups, um, his home tour, DIY, productivity. Um, I first found Matthews through my boss, Justin, also in the YouTube space. Um, I know that they do similar kind of home and desk setup spaces. So I thought that was really cool. And yeah, I'm just really excited to kind of dive into your brain. And I know that your journey is, you know, it's really cool how you started more working for a company and then pivoting and then working mostly for yourself. So I'm excited to just get in there and to ask all those burning questions. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so I heard that you were in college for you know motion and graphic design is that when you were in the program do you remember being like this is exactly what i want to do or did you have any moments of doubt um if this was a path that you wanted to go towards um there were moments of doubt and when i had the moments of doubt i already changed my environment and that'll be a reoccurring thing you'll see uh, mm -hmm. as we talk about my career but uh, i'll give you an example when i first graduated high school i was looking at attending art center college of design mm -hmm. uh, i even took a summer class there but um, when i went there i felt the school was too serious 
-hmm. like I didn't felt like I, I fit in there and it was a little bit of a goofball with my other uh, art friends mm -hmm. and I kind of just wanted to follow them and they were all going to Art Institute, uh, a school that is uh, kind of lesser known in terms of uh, its its uh, prominence in, in the design field. It's not really celebrated as a, as a great school to go to, but I went there because it felt a little bit easier to get in. It was a little bit more chill and all my friends were going there. So I followed them there and uh, I started studying graphic design there. And after about a year or so, I felt like I was already at the top of my class. I wasn't learning as much. And even my teachers at that school at the time were kind of pushing me to say, hey, um, I think you're better than this. And I think you can, you should be going to Art Center. If you're really serious about your career, I think you should consider Art Center. So after two years at Art Institute, I, I left there, worked on my portfolio and then applied to Art Center, which I think was better because by that time, I had become a little bit more mature. My skills were more developed and it was mentally ready for that challenge. Mm -hmm. And did you feel any pressure from your family to go a certain direction or, you know, to succeed specifically in graphic design or was it pretty um, chill in that regard? My parents and my family luckily were very nurturing. They put zero pressure on me for college or anything. They had set no expectations. I mean, um, good grades were a must, but outside of that, they didn't really have much um, direction on what I should be doing. Instead, whenever I let them know what I was interested in, they would just be quite encouraging for that instead. Okay, that's great. And with graphic design, do you recommend overall that it's important to go through like a post-secondary education and to go to college for that? Um, or do you see most people in your space where they haven't really gone through, you know, university or college? You know, I don't think that it, I think it depends on what you need in terms of education. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some people are very good at DIYing education. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm at that place now where if I'm curious about something, I could ask the internet and figure it all out. Uh, maybe when I was younger, uh, the internet wasn't as robust back then in 2002, 2003, but, and I was lacking a little bit of maturity. Mm -hmm. So I think I needed that structure. I needed somebody to tell me, hey, you're a good student, A plus, mm -hmm. you know, I, I needed that structure and ways um, to, to facilitate my learning versus people that I've worked with. I know plenty of people who didn't go through uh, design or art college and are really good at design. For instance, my old colleague and coworker Ben Burns. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a DIY guy. Uh, mm -hmm. He was a cop and then he learned design uh, on the side and eventually he's now the chief operating officer at the future mm -hmm. and previously the creative a creative director at Blind. So he was amazing and he was somebody who also developed their skills but in their own way. That's awesome. And it seems like you're very passionate about creating and, and building. Do you ever get throughout your career of doing in the similar space is it something that you've ever gotten, you know, that you've lost passion for, or if you're continuously doing it every day, do you ever get bored of it? Or how do you get out of those funks or creative funks if you've ever gotten in any? Yeah, um, I think for me, I'm a person of extremes and I'm a person of uh, singular focus. Mm -hmm. uh, so meaning I can't do more than one thing at any given time. It's okay. I, it's hard for me to multitask. Mm -hmm. I, I can, but I don't prefer it. It's not my natural state. Um, so if you give me a task, I will work very hard to get that done once I commit to it. And then I will get that all the way done and do it to the best of my ability. I think um, though there are points where, 
either I'm burnt out from what it is that I'm doing, or, you know, I'm just not inspired. And I try to, I try to avoid those moments. But when I go to the opposite end of extreme focus, sometimes my focus goes into things that aren't necessarily productive, like video Mm -hmm. games. There are times where, for instance, when I first quit my job, I just wanted to really veg out. So I probably played two weeks of Call of Duty straight for (laughs) who knows, 40 hours. Like it was, it was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And how was that shift for you mentally, you know, working for the future and then working for yourself? Um, did you have any moments of kind of panic? Cause I know for me, I worked for a corporate role for a while and then switching to work with Justin, it was a completely different atmosphere where my boss is the same age as me and we're mm-hmm. all a really young team and it's a little bit, I guess, less stable. Now it's obviously more stable, but that making that leap and that big change that kind of scared me. Um, mm-hmm. so for you jumping into working for yourself and, you know, leaving the future, how, what were you thinking? Did you need time to kind of, you know like really just veg out and to like recap what you, what was going on or were you eager to just jump right into it? I, I think there's two parts to that. The first mm-hmm. part is the fear of being on your own. And then the other part is, um, you know, making the transition. So the mm-hmm. first part in terms of the fear, uh, I didn't have any fear going into this only because I'm very, um, I, I take calculated risks mm-hmm. and it took me uh, about two years to make this decision. So it's not something that I just, overnight was like, okay, it's time to go. The seed was planted two years prior and I was just waiting for it to be the right time. And eventually it did. So things lined up. Um, And then when I made the transition, once I decided to quit, luckily uh, one of the kind of check boxes that I had to make sure I had in check was Mm -hmm. my financials. Would I be financially stable? Because that's a big Mm -hmm. one I think that many people stress about. And when I spoke to my accountant, he said, you could fail for 18 months straight and be fine. Mm-hmm. So I had plenty of runway for me to explore and take my time. Um, that's because I, prior to that, I'd been working for over a decade, really long time and just being pretty good with my money. When I first quit, I told myself that maybe for the first two or three months, I would say no to all op- opportunities. So when I first quit and I announced it publicly, very publicly, mm-hmm. I probably got five different job offers and all right. of them were quite exciting. But of mm-hmm. course I had, you know, I really appreciate that, but mm-hmm. not right now. Like I, the reason I quit is because I wanted to see what would happen if I go on my own with, uh, with my boredom, with my curiosity, with my creativity and all the skills that I've leveraged and relationships that I've leveraged, mm-hmm. what's possible if I commit myself to that. So the first two or three months was really just the detox. Mm-hmm. because I had been working for so long in a machine, my brain was working like a machine, right? So every day, like my processes and all of my habits were based around answering emails, being there for the team, um, reviewing stuff. So like my mind was still thinking about this. So it was still buzzing. And I needed that downtime to really quiet all that noise and chatter and slowly take off obligations and expectations off of my plate one at a time until finally it's quiet, I could hear my own voice and then slowly put the things that matter back onto my plate. Wow, wow, yeah, that's amazing. I think that downtime is is really important. And with your uh, with your YouTube channel, um, where were you hoping to kind of, or where do you hope seeing it now? Cause I know you started off with, I think it was a DIY home office and that hit like a large audience of people. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that's hard to kind of DIY every single part of your house. So how do you mm-hmm. hope to kind of niche down and to find that, you know, specific audience or kind of maybe like industry that you want to be in specifically with YouTube? 
Yeah, you know, that's something that I'm constantly exploring. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm very much a calculated risk person. So when I knew I had a hit, my first instinct was, is that a fluke or can I recreate that? Mm -hmm. And so I've been able to recreate that many times in terms of, you know, getting a few videos uh, over a million views. And that was my my metric. It's like, can I can I repeat this? Do I know what I'm doing or is this just a fluke, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so once I've been able to repeat success, my goal was to see, it's like, well, how big is my niche? Mm -hmm. Meaning how far can I go out for what people expect from me mm -hmm. and what would they show up for? So with every piece of content that I've been exploring, I've been taking little half steps out. So before it started with this desk setup, then it went into home and DIY projects. And luckily a lot of people continued. And I was like, okay, well, what, what other parts of home might people sign up for? I was like, I'm really into plants right now. I'm mm -hmm. curious, would people be into plants? And initially when I released the video on that, it was it had very poor viewership, okay. but it just took a little while. Mm -hmm. And now that's one of the better performing videos on my channel. It just mm -hmm. skyrocketed. So for me, it's like all of these things, I'm just seeing how far can I branch out? And then what makes sense? And then can I do this over and over again? Or am I just a fluke? And luckily, again, all of my videos have been performing very well, mm -hmm. uh, very thankfully, because I think I've cracked some part of <laughs> the equation of, of what I want to do, what my mm -hmm. audience is looking for, and what the algorithm wants. So making sure that those three things, uh, three things are constantly aligned when I create within this, uh, this space of, of YouTube yeah um, yeah i definitely find your videos so refreshing there's this different aspect of storytelling that i feel like a lot of people don't bring into maybe like when they're showing like a desk setup or something and i really like mm -hmm. the day in the lives that you've posted out so you've talked about success on youtube and how do you measure that exactly for you is it the views you see is it the comments or the engagement is it the amount of subscribers is it the brand partnerships or the money side like where for you do you kind of mentally see like, okay, when a video goes, I'm like, oh, that was really successful for me. Or is it the way that you feel about it? I'm just kind of curious to see how you measure your success for your channel. It's all of those things. It starts yeah. with me. Like if, yeah. do I want to make this video? Like that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Am I interested in this subject? Am I passionate about this thing? Because if I'm passionate, I know that that, because of my other skills of storytelling and, and filmmaking, it it can transfer to other people. But if I'm not passionate about it, it's not going to transfer to anybody. Mm -hmm. So it has to start with that always. Um, and then all the other metric stuff, I, I watch and, and measure all of it, right? Mm -hmm. So views, engagement, subscribers, but I'll be honest, it's not that important to me. All I, like, I don't really, I measure it, but I'm not, I don't stress out about it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not, it's not that heavy for me. It's just more of like, did I put something out there that I'm, I'm proud of? Yes. Great. Um, does this more or less follow the, uh, the averages and some of the things that have come before it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, great. That means I'm still doing a good job relative to what I've done before. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other part is, um, well, what, what business can I develop around this? Mm -hmm. That part is very exciting for me because in my past career as a creative director, yes. I would be pitching commercials all the time. And that to me is big game hunting. And there's something very exciting about being able to, um, uh, capture a deal and sell somebody an idea and then capture a big chunk of money uh, as a result of that mm -hmm. so while the money yes it's important i think it's just more of doing the the hunting 
part of it, the pitching part of it, and like uh, being able to connect content that I was already going to make or have been thinking about, and then connect that with the goals of a potential brand partnership. And when those things align, um, and it aligns with everything else for like what my audience wants to see, then mm -hmm. it's just all golden, all these moments of overlap. It's like, look, look how I thread this needle between three, four, mm -hmm. five different things. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about um, pitching yourself? Because I know with the future, you're, you're pitching commercials and brands, but now for your channel, if you want to work with a company, you have to pitch yourself. How do you feel about, um, you know, putting yourself out there and yeah, just kind of pitching yourself to companies? How does that make you feel? Uh, I'm, I feel fine. I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like I get yeah. excited about that stuff um, to, because I just, I've done it so mm -hmm. many times mm -hmm. that you know in even relative to the the projects that i worked on before like what's at stake is oh sometimes over a million dollars mm -hmm. where you know these brand partnerships are much smaller in scale so it feels like small potatoes and because i've had the past experience before right. i don't stress out about it and for me i'm perfectly okay with walking away from any brand deal i think where other and the reason why is because I was talking about uh, financial security before. Yeah. I feel like my my financials are very diverse in terms of where income is coming from, mm -hmm. from royalties from different places, from little client projects here and there. I feel very covered. Mm -hmm. So meaning that if any part of that financial pie kind of evaporates, I will still be okay. Mm -hmm. um, so when I enter into these pitches and brand deals and pitching myself, I'm okay with it not working out. I usually just say this is not a good fit. Unfortunately, as much as I love your brand, as much as I love this, it just it doesn't make sense for me financially or, you know, brand wise, whatever that may be. I'm okay with walking away. And I think some people who go all in on the content game maybe a little too early, mm -hmm. uh, they don't necessarily have that ability because they feel like, ooh, you know, I I if I don't take this on, then you know, I might not be good this month. Mm -hmm. Um and I'm curious to know how it feels now working mostly by yourself versus in a big team. Um, do you ever get lonely or anything? Because I know for Justin, he started off with himself and now the team has grown to five or six people. So he constantly has people to collaborate with um, mm -hmm. and to exchange ideas. And I don't know if you're just by yourself, if you have some help on the side, but um, what was that big shift for you having, you know, like a big team and then versus, you know, a smaller team or just with yourself? Yeah, so there's two parts of that. The first part is I still um, I, I hire freelancers from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, I try to delegate the things that uh, I don't need to be on. Uh, right. And I do that as best as possible. Like so sometimes that's having somebody come along and help me shoot stuff or sometimes that's editing something that I, you know, I've gotten to the point where I've established a style or thing that I want and i can train people in order to accomplish that so that part has been good because of my past experience um, mm -hmm. managing and directing people um, but not having the responsibility of having staff and a team has been such a relief for me because mm -hmm. it's not like somebody every day is pinging me and like hey can you look at this can you look at this can you look at this mm -hmm. and i think that was one part of my previous job that got a little tiring uh, mm -hmm. as, a, as a manager in a managerial position having to review stuff all the time mm -hmm. it's like you spend all of your time making sure other people's work looks good mm -hmm. and you have little time to focus on your own stuff so now that 
all of those responsibilities are off of my plate, I have a lot of free time where I can just do the work, do my work, mm -hmm. but also think about the work and have that space to expand what it is that I want to do and, and just have that space. Because I think that's what a lot of us lack if you're in a regular nine to five or if you're helping to build something else for someone else is like all of your time is dedicated to the work and not much is spent on thinking about what else. Right. Yeah. And so is your brain constantly on with the channel and the business? Because again, I know with Justin, it's constantly on. He can't really turn it off. So for you, how do you take that time for a break? And how do you, you know, especially with like mental health, and then that's really important to kind of take a break from work. So how do you kind of turn your brain off and not constantly think about the business? Or is that something that you're constantly thinking about? I would say that I take things very slow okay. and very methodical. So if you look at my channel, I will release maybe one video a month, maybe yes. two versus I know Justin is sometimes We're pumping like 20, out. 20 videos. Yes. There's a lot plus. going on. Yes. So it's very yeah. different, but I like to hear, I'd like to hear your thought process for that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's like, I, and I understand why it's like mm -hmm. Justin is, he's wired a little differently and mm -hmm. his priorities right now are different than mine. Mm -hmm. So I've already gone through that, that where I've, tried to build a company on my own and then failed. And I've worked within a company for a long time and I freelance. So I've done a lot of the grind yes. <laughs> for a while and I'm yes. tired of it. Like I don't, yeah. if I'm going to design my own life, I don't want to design it where I'm grinding. Mm -hmm. So again, it took me a long time to get to this point and I'm very grateful and fortunate mm -hmm. um, to, to be able to have that. But now that I have this space, even though there could be a million opportunities that are knocking on my door, mm -hmm. just just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And right. for me, it's always important to have a very well calibrated um, compass of your true north. And for mm -hmm. me, it's just, you know, again, like, what do I want to work on? Like, what do I, what do I, what's important to me? And right now, what I've reflected on in the past year is that, you know, I, I want to become a better storyteller. So to me at my core, like that's a, a big skill that I want to develop and where that takes place. It's like YouTube obviously is a natural place mm -hmm. for that to occur. Um, some writing on medium or just, you know, personal stuff that I'm writing mm -hmm. in my, uh, my books every day um, and, and, and reading and consuming content that helps fuel that. So mm -hmm. all of that uh, is, is a very intentional and slow way of doing it and leaving enough room for spontaneity. So mm -hmm. I can, you know, leave in the afternoon and go for a walk around LA and not have to answer to anybody. And I think those things are, are really important to me because it helps me see things more clearly, more objectively, and not be caught up in the busyness of work, but rather I can think about, is this the best thing that I could be doing at any given moment? Mm -hmm. That's really refreshing to hear because I feel like at this age, I'm 25 and all of my peers and working with Justin, it's, it's very much this grinding phase where you want to work mm -hmm. so hard and it leads to so much burnout. And if you want to mm -hmm. be successful, you have to just grind and do everything really quickly. Um, and I feel like that that's, that's really prevalent in my Gen Z generation where it's just like social media, everything we're consuming content so quickly that we're not taking the time to just kind of sit down and relax. Is this something that I really want? And often with social media, there's the comparison game, um, mm -hmm. So for you, do you ever find yourself stuck in that at this phase, especially with YouTube? There's a lot of people doing, you know, maybe similar content. Where do you kind of draw the line where you 
draw inspiration or draw inspiration from these other channels, but not find yourself stuck comparing yourself to them and like in a negative way. Right. Well, I think there's two parts to that, right? I'm, I'm 37 now. In my mm-hmm. 20s, I was definitely grinding. Yes. I did probably the longest was a 36-hour shift um, oh, working and animating on something, like not sleeping. So oh. it's not like I, I, I'm I, chill now, yes. but it took a while to get here. So I'm not, I'm not pretending like I didn't do the grind and I just mm-hmm. magically woke up like this. It mm-hmm. was as a result of that grind from those experiences Mm-hmm. Um, both good and bad help me mm-hmm. form my opinion of how I want to calibrate my life these days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's that's important to to think about. And then in terms of social media mm-hmm. and how I view that, um, I it's it's interesting. Like I I, I like to study content. And I like to study content, good content. So when I see something that's blowing up somewhere, I look at that as something for me to study. Like, why do people like this? Why do I like this? And what about these parts are interesting to me? What are they doing that's so novel that might be getting other people hooked or um, watching for longer than other content? And why does this stand out an eighth of an inch compared to everything else? So for me, I'm one thing that's at my core is a genuine curiosity for how things work. So when I see that, when I see something good, a good movie, a good piece of content on social, I like to study it um, and try to put aside my bias for things that I might not generally like on the surface, but rather as a, as a learning opportunity, what can I take from that that might make sense for me in, in my content. So I, I'm constantly analyzing. I I don't really do the comparison game mm-hmm. for that sense because I feel like everyone has a corner in the internet and there's no room to run out. Just because somebody's succeeding doesn't mean that that diminishes what you do. And in fact, it's like, I think when somebody elevates, it kind of brings all of us up, especially if you're in a particular niche or community. Mm-hmm. Because when you see one person succeed, then guess what? It's going to spawn two other people that can see succeed simply because they've seen you've done it they've seen one person done it. and then like for me the only reason why i'm even playing in this youtube space is because of my former boss chris who went from client services to creating a content company for people like justin say and uh, mm-hmm. ali abdal like seeing people who have built these media companies and businesses around something from scratch and, and earn a lot of money and create a, a, a community around the things that they do. Those are all examples for me. I'm drafting behind all of this. I'm way behind compared to all of those people, but that's an example for me. Those are role models for me to see and, and see that, oh, that, those are possibilities for me and, and I could learn from that. And I've been able to grow, um, you know, drafting behind these people. And that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And going on about social media and, you know, the wave of, the internet and everything. What are your thoughts on short form content? How that's, you know, rising in more popularity. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on shorts? If you're familiar with that on YouTube um, and yeah, what do you find versus the long form content that you're like producing? I think short form content is here to say, I think short form content totally makes sense because if you can be entertained, you can be educated or whatever the purpose is for those mm-hmm. things. Um, in a shorter amount of time, why not? Mm-hmm. But like I said earlier, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Mm-hmm. So while I can do lots of short form content, 
for me, I've realized that it's not something that's truly aligned with me. First of all, the pace thing, right? Like I'm very kind of slow and chill and methodical. Mm -hmm. Short form is a little bit harder for me to produce. That being said, uh, on the back end of that, long form content like YouTube, like other things like digital courses or things that exist out there that can be more evergreen, something that can have longevity, I find to be more valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, so for instance, like I can have a YouTube video that's five years old, but still be gaining lots of traction today, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if I were to make a short, uh, you know, if that's on TikTok or IG Reels, whatever, that is going to cycle out the next day. Mm -hmm. It's not coming back. You know, like there might be a very short window that that short form content lives, but it's not evergreen. That content doesn't come back, at least the way that it's designed right now. So for me, knowing that that's, I would rather spend a long time like crafting something that's going to have longevity and keep paying me out over time, yes. you know, both in views and revenue, whatever, um, rather than having to constantly feed the machine. I don't want to be <laughs> glued to this and serve this thing like that doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. I would rather put something out there that's good quality and mm -hmm. then that keep growing for me. And then I'll move on to the next thing and start building that. And then the next thing and then diversify as much as possible. So that's a long winded way of saying, Short form content, yes, it's valuable, it's here to stay, but it's not quite for me for the reasons I just stated. Yeah, yeah. And you can see that your audience and I, I'm a subscriber as well. I just, we love watching your videos and, you know, the way that the style that it is. So I can agree that, yeah, short form is definitely something that's up and coming, but it's not for everyone. It doesn't mean that long form is going to disappear anytime soon. Mm -hmm. um, I was hoping to end the episode with a few kind of fun, random questions if you're, if you're down for that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, what would you say your last boss um, would say is your greatest strength and then your greatest weakness oh. in, the, in the job or the career space? <laughs> uh, probably I would say the greatest strength is like dedication and loyalty to be able to mm -hmm. get something done. Mm -hmm. um, and the weakness, the only thing I could think of is why didn't I leave sooner? Oh, okay. He told that to me. It's like, why didn't I leave my job sooner? Because I was ready for a long time. So it may be a little indecisiveness if that would be a quality. It's like, realize your confidence. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah. And I read that you used to break dance a lot. Um, yeah. And if you, you know, weren't doing YouTube in the creative space, do you think you'd ever go into break dancing more professionally or anything? Or are you kind of like the way that you had ended ended it there? Well, the thing is, nowadays that I have free time, I'm practicing yes. again. So Lord, that's okay. fun. Yeah. And, you know, prior to that, probably prior to 2016 was the last time I competed. So I was already doing okay. competitions across the U.S. and okay. globally. So that was that was fun. And that was a big part of my life. And that was a second identity underneath all the business stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. I used to dance a lot growing up. I didn't do break dancing per se, but I did like mm -hmm. ballet, jazz and tap. And I always found break dancing just so crazy i think i had watched one of your videos as well i'm like how does that even work that's crazy <laughs> very impressive <laughs> um what what is your favorite productivity tool right now that can be like an app that can be like a tech product kind of anything yeah my favorite productivity tool right now is analog by ugma it's just a just a to-do list oh that's cool so all it is is just like a card that you put your to-dos on. Yes. 
and then it just sits like this at an angle so you see it all day every day and you just check it off and once you're done you just replace this card and then put in a new card so it's just helpful for me because when i am sitting down like this thing mm -hmm. is staring me down but okay. it's also design designed in an elegant way because before i would use post-it notes and mm -hmm. it does, doesn't look aesthetically pleasing <laughs> with this it looks beautiful sitting on my desk as just a piece on its own Amazing. Um, is there anything that you've done in your, you know, DIY Reno projects that you wish that you've done differently in your home? Um, uh, there's like little details. It would be hard mm -hmm. to describe, but like maybe you can even see this right behind me. You see this? There's for my um, sliding uh, yes. door right here. Yes. Um, I designed this with the idea that you know what, I'm going to put some tech in there, but the problem is it overheats when the door is closed. So mm -hmm. I'm actually designing a new door that's ventilated. So I'm going to use some uh, some aluminum, uh, some powder coated aluminum and, and create this screen door that hopefully will look really nice. But mm -hmm. that'd be one thing where it's, and maybe that's part of my personality of constant improvement. <laughs> where I see something, I design it and it works, but it could always be better. So that's one thing that I, I know that I'm going to be working on pretty soon. Okay, amazing. Um, what's the compliment that you hear the most? Oh, I love your videos, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's usually what I hear. Um, yeah, I, 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 that's probably the thing that I hear all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and talk to me a little bit about your experience um, shooting and directing a documentary. I think that was with mm -hmm. Webflow. So how was that in comparison to kind of the other st stuff that you've done? It's been fantastic. And I built a bridge to get there. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, prior as a motion designer working on animated commercials, mm -hmm. like we had to tell 30 second commercials that were just visually beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then working on content on YouTube, obviously, it's live action like this, we're just using kind of a prosumer gear cameras and, and learning how to light and film. And so the reason why I took on this documentary is so that I could expand my skills and leverage the past skills. Mm -hmm. So it's like if I already kind of know how to structure a story, if I kind of know how to use film and lighting equipment, how might that um, be leveraged in order for me to tell other people's story in this longer form uh, format? How can I be a director of other people and get what I need in the can when I interview them? How do I become a better conversationalist so that I can extract what I need that will be mm -hmm. good in the edit, uh, but also make the person on the other side feel comfortable? So these are all things that I have developed in this process mm -hmm. and I know I've grown there. Um, and it's the reason why I took that type of job on uh, to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any advice or quick tips for being behind the camera? Because I know for me, the first time I was um, behind the cameras was for the course. I had a little segment in it and I didn't realize mm -hmm. how nerve wracking it would be. So I, I do this podcast mm -hmm. and I'm really comfortable with like public speaking, but for some reason with having mm -hmm. the cameras and the lights on me, I'm like, oh my God, I'm sweating. This is like, mm -hmm. this is very nerve wracking. So do you have any tips for anyone um, for them to be like behind the camera? I'm mm -hmm. sorry, in front of the camera. In front of the camera, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and it's, it's kind of the same for me. The problem mm -hmm. with talking to a camera is just a void. There's no one there on the other side, yes. right? Yes. So things you can do that uh, I've personally found helpful. Um, like if you have somebody else there, that's helpful. Like if there's somebody on camera, like you might talk to them a little bit beforehand and then, you know, and, and then talk to the camera after that. So you could get a little warm up or if you're doing something where you're recording remotely, you can have somebody on Zoom to just mm -hmm. 
be there to cheerlead for you a little bit and give you feedback because i think the feedback is the thing that you get when you're speaking in front of other people right mm -hmm. at least you know if they like it or they don't versus talking you might crack a joke but there's nobody laughing because there's it's the camera's not responding to you so that's one thing right you can have somebody to to respond and feedback and have feedback the other thing is to realize that this camera you can edit that's the magic of editing right so i think once you realize that you can slow down and take your time so for mm -hmm. me i think sometimes in conversations we feel the pressure to like keep it going mm -hmm. but when i record i will take very long deep breaths you know like Okay, and then here's my next line. Mm -hmm. And before I move on, I'm going to close this. And then I'm going to get to my next line. So I take my time and just taking that breath. Sometimes you get really, really tense because you're so focused on what you need to say mm -hmm. that you forget to breathe and you forget to relax your shoulders. Like that's one thing that my physical therapist had, had pointed out to me. It's like when I do a lot of my movements or certain mm -hmm. things, like I'm like tense in my shoulders. Right. It's like, oh, shoot, relax the shoulders because that holds so much um, tension in there. And when you release that, you could realize hmm, you can breathe a little bit better. You can mm -hmm. slow down and, um, and and that helps a lot. So taking your time, taking a breath and speaking a little bit slower so that your mouth can catch up with your brain because your brain is going a million miles a minute. Mm -hmm. It's like give it some time to process before it exits your mouth. Mm -hmm. Those are really good tips. Um, and I have one last question. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, who would you say are the three most influential people in your life right now? Mm. Um, I would say one is Anthony Bourdain. Mm -hmm. um, I've recently watched Roadrunner, the documentary about him, and I just love his style of filmmaking, of writing, and reading a lot of his books right now. So he's, he's very inspirational to me. Um, and I love food also. So it's just, it's fun to, to be uh, in that. Um, I also love him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in terms of, like, I mean, Chris Doe, my boss, my yes. mentor, like now that I'm not working for him, I still keep in touch with him all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly, uh, you know, hitting him up uh, about stuff or just chatting and sharing stuff. So I, I'm always amazed at how fast he moves, how well he articulates himself. Mm -hmm. And I'm still an admirer of what he does, even though I don't work for him anymore. So I still, I still watch him. I still go to his clubhouse and Twitter rooms mm -hmm. um, uh, just to listen in and trying to participate where I can. Mm -hmm. And then the, the last person uh, that I can think of that inspires me uh, is my wife. My wife is somebody that she's a lot more bold and brave than I am. We both uh, came up together as designers in the motion design space, but she was one who left that industry sooner than I did. And she did it almost like cold turkey. Like I'm, she's like, I'm done. I'm kind of tired of this. I'm done creating cracker commercials. Like this is not, I don't want to use my creativity for that. And then eventually um, she found her way um, to tattooing. And for the past two years, she's been a tattoo apprentice. But recently in December, 2020, she completed that apprenticeship, which was very tough. And now she's a full-time tattooer. So it's like, I've seen her make a massive shift and it was inspiring for me because again, 
Role models are important to me. And when I see other people do it, it gives me a little bit of courage, a little bit of confidence. And the possibility in my mind opens up that I could do that too. Wow, that's amazing. Well, especially with your wife, that's such a crazy career change. That must be, that's pretty awesome. Do you have, does she have a page on Instagram that my followers can check out or? Yeah, it's it's uh, Belinda Rodriguez with three Zs at the end. Okay, okay, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. I really appreciate your time. Um, it was always so great to, to speak with you and to learn more about um, your story, but thank you for coming on and thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me.